say is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. And politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Not turn in the guns. All the unions always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever-so-humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and we are just bouncing our way through the fall of the Republic, and it is not a lot of fun to watch, I can tell you that much. Uh, let's jump right in. Uh, time of the live broadcast, for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast on Terrestrial Radio, happens to be June the 12th. It is Sunday, and uh, craziness abounds. Uh, that's all I can say. In the name of m- modesty, and in the name of attempting to Find common ground and moderacy. Uh, we're going to negotiate away some of our constitutionally protected, God-given rights. In this case, having to do with the Second Amendment. Yes, a group, a bipartisan group of U.S. senators announced today, Sunday, that they had agreed to the framework. Uh, a, a nice little framework to implement new gun control measures. This, of course, following the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas last month, which was a tragedy. It was. But it's not justification to surrender anyone's rights. And the federal government doesn't have any authority or power to take our rights. 
no matter what any leftist anywhere wants to try to say. Anyway, the group of 20 senators said in a statement the following. Today, we are announcing a common sense, bipartisan proposal to protect America's children, keep our schools safe, and reduce the threat of violence across our country. Our plan increases needed mental health resources, improves school safety and support for students, and helps helps ensure dangerous criminals and those who are adjudicated as mentally ill can't purchase weapons. The statement included a nine points of focus statement. And I'll go over those momentarily, but I want to remind you, this is a battle cry we haven't heard in a little bit, but when we hear a politician say, for the children, we know they're about to do something that they know they shouldn't be doing, but they can't come up with a good rationale for trying to do it anyway. So we're just supposed to believe that it's for the children. All right, these nine points that they want to focus on. Number one, support for state crisis intervention orders. Uh, evidently, they, this framework provides resources to states and tribes to create and administer laws that help ensure deadly weapons are kept out of the hands of individuals whom a court has determined to be significant to be a significant danger to themselves or others, consistent with state and federal due process and constitutional protections. So, okay, let's let's break that a little bit. Uh, danger to themselves or others. So we're talking about red flag laws here. Now, they say in the framework that this is going to be consistent with state and federal due process and constitutional protections. But just because it says so in the framework, does that mean that we're guaranteed that's what we're going to get, boys and girls? Because I understand if you're going to stick an R at the end of your name and you're not going to stand up for due process, you're not going to win re-election. And some of the names in this list of this group of 20 uh, probably should have been – you know, primaried out a while back, but they managed to get reelected and reelected through the magical power of incumbency. But we'll talk a little more about that later. Uh, another one of these nine points, investment in children and family mental health services. Uh, when the government uses the word investment, it means spending taxpayer dollars. Okay? Just understand the language that they're using just in case just in case that hasn't occurred to me now i know if you're a regular listener to the show i probably don't need to explain that but on the off chance that somebody's new to the program or somebody's actually uh someone that's right at dead center or maybe leans a little to the left and they're just trying to scope out what i'm having to say let me make it clear to them now Part of this investment, they're saying that there will be a national expansion of community behavioral health center model. Major investments to increase 
access to mental health and suicide prevention programs, and other support services available in the community, including crisis and trauma intervention and recovery. Now, it seems as if there is a certain level of vagueness there, which I'm guessing is intentional. Why would I say that? Because we know the federal government and all these so-called lawmakers in this country, whenever they want to make the widest, most expansive power grabs, whenever they want to find the most reasons to waste taxpayer dollars, when they intentionally write a bill that they're hoping will become law in the most vague forms possible, which then in turn allows for the most wide range in interpretation, meaning they can stretch it to mean almost anything. So is this a great point for this bipartisan uh, group of 20? I'm going to say while it sounds great in theory, just the way they even say this in their statement should be raising, if you'll forgive the pun, red flags to everyone. Next point of contention, protections for victims of domestic violence. I'm sorry, don't we already have protections for victims of domestic violence? Uh, There are laws against it literally in every single part of the country, right? The thing here is we need the victims to come forward and report their victimhood status. We need law enforcement to step up and do their investigative expectations in these scenarios. And then we need the judicial branch of whatever local level of government to step up and do its role and to, after seeing the investigation performed by law enforcement, either adequately punish those that are, in fact, domestic abusers or dismiss the charges, as that may also be appropriate, as there are also multiple occasions where accusations of domestic assault are only that, accusations. So far, I'm not seeing anything that's going to make me feel a lot safer. But within the framework, they're going to say that convicted domestic violence abusers and individuals subjects to domestic violence restraining orders are included in the NICS, including those who have or have had a continuing relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. Now, again, they're doing something that already exists in this case when they say that convicted domestic violence abusers are going to be subject to uh, being on the list of people who can't get firearms. If you're convicted of assault, you are a criminal. And if you've been convicted of a... Okay, if you're not a misdemeanor, it's what... If you're convicted of a felony, then you're a felon. And as a felon, you have to jump through some hoops to get all of your regular rights restored once you are no longer incarcerated. Now, if you're not a convicted domestic violence abuser... Okay, so you get what I'm saying, right? This is a redundancy where they're trying to make it sound like they're addressing issues 
that if the law is applied properly that already exists, there's no need for this. And then as far as uh, people that are subject to domestic violence restraining orders, now that's getting dangerously close to not actually following due process because just because a restraining order may be in place, uh, many of them are temporary restraining orders that are never made permanent or official. But it doesn't sound like there's any distinction here, at least not within the framework. Now, the actual bill that will come from this framework, I'm sure, will read very differently. But will that be a distinction made in it? Only time will tell. But it is something we should be watching out for, don't you think? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I, I just in, in, in this case, for domestic violence abusers, is it necessary to include the sections that is involving people that have had a continuing relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. Isn't that kind of a major part? I, I, I don't see the necessity to include that in the language at all. Domestic violence is domestic violence. If you actually are guilty of performing domestic violence, then your access to firearms should be restricted as a convicted felon. Anything else is still a major uh, overstep and uh, definitely a reduction of uh, our due process rights. Next major point in this little framework is funding for school-based mental health and supportive services. Okay, so we're spending a lot of time and energy on mental health. Uh, first, we're doing the community-based, and now we're going to do it at school. Now, I'm not necessarily opposed to having uh, you know, people in the schools where it is their role, their responsibility to be on the lookout for problematic behavior within certain students where they're showing signs early on of some type of deep-seated tendency that might lead to violence. However, I would like to make sure that the people that are doing this job don't have any other kind of agendas. And unfortunately, in most of the public, aka government schools right now, a lot of the people that fulfill a similar role do in fact have a different agenda or at the very least are encouraged to promote a different agenda, whether it's the pro-LGBTQ confusion mandates or the uh, racial essentialism mandates that are all coming down from on high or if it's just simply the, hey, don't listen to your parents. They don't know all the things that you already know now. See, any of those agendas become problematic. So it's a situation where it's not necessarily a bad thing to have professionals that are going to be taking a serious look at the mental health of these students and intervening in the cases where violence seems to be on the way without trying to push, manipulate, or change a student's mental condition. That's not a role they should be playing. But 
According to the framework, this funding for the school-based mental health and supportive services, it's uh, laid out in a fashion where they're going to be investing in programs to expand mental health and supportive services in the schools, including early identification and intervention programs and school-based mental health and wraparound services. So again, they use the kind of wording here that sounds reasonable, that sounds like a good idea, but is still vagued up just enough at the end that it could mean a whole lot of things that really have no business being there. So can we get some more specifics, please? Something tells me bipartisan support goes away quickly if we get the specifics. But maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just jaded now. Next point of focus is funding for school safety resources. Shouldn't that have been covered in the anyway? Uh, this invest in programs to help institute safety measures in and around primary and secondary schools, support school violence prevention efforts, and provide training to school personnel and students. Now, if this training is just the run, duck, and cover training, then I don't think there's a reason to invest any more taxpayer dollars in that. You guys have already got that pretty screwed up as it is. Now, if you're actually improving security capabilities in the form of having uh, more on-site security officers or to help pay for uh, locally more research resource officers, enunciation being important, those are things I can get behind. Are you going to be putting in uh, situations where there are metal detectors at the main entrance and that there are safeguards to prevent unauthorized people from coming in any other entrance than the main entrance? Now, that's a decent way. I would be okay with spending taxpayer dollars on that kind of thing because, you know, being a taxpayer, I get a vote in that. But if you're trying to teach students to, the best place to find a, a uh, cry closet uh, to just lock it and hang out there and try not to sniffle too loudly when you t cower in fear, I'm not so big on that kind of training. So, again, I need to see some specifics because you, you worded it in a forceful way, but also in a way that's still just vague enough that we're not getting anything from you as far as what you're actually trying to say. Again, I'm good with improving school safety. Not so good knowing that you're not being specific and that some of this bipartisan uh, senators that are involved with this programming, involving building this framework, uh, happen to believe very strongly that no one outside of the state should have a firearm. So I have my reasons for concern. Another point of uh, focus, clarification of definition of federally licensed firearm dealer. Now, see, here's where they're coming for our guns. Here, specifically in trying to prevent the free flow of firearms on the market for law-abiding citizens. They're planning on... Uh, performing these crackdowns on criminals who illegally evade licensing requirements is how they worded it. 
But how does clarification of the definition of a federally licensed firearm dealer crack down on criminals? Most criminals are not purchasing firearms in a legal fashion. Most criminals, if they've already been in the system, are ex-cons. And therefore, if they haven't jumped through all the hoops to get their rights to own a firearm back yet, then they're not legally allowed to get one anyway. They're not going to pass a background check. So clarification on what is and what isn't a federally licensed firearm dealer isn't going to make a hill of beans difference. At all. And it's not going to crack down on any criminals in any fashion. They're also, as part of the focus here, talking about telehealth investment. I'm assuming, I mean primarily directed towards psychiatric health, but uh, it's worded here in this little statement as investments in programs that increase access to mental and behavioral health services for youth and families in crisis via telehealth. Now, I'm sorry, but didn't COVID-19 move a lot of this kind of thing into the telehealth realm already? It's a question of you being able to sign up and how do you acquire this. If you're going to make this type of psychiatric assistance available via telehealth, seems to me like you're missing about half of what psychiatric care is supposed to be about. A therapist, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, in order to be able to adequately guide you through a mental health crisis, is going to need to know you on a personal basis. That's why it takes a while for you to get to know your therapist and for your therapist to get to know you. That's why most therapists have very little success in the earliest days of seeing new clients, a.k.a. patients. Now, I don't necessarily, on principle, have an issue where we're not going to be able to improve people's access to telehealth of any kind. But I do think that when it comes to mental and behavioral health, a personal touch is required, and sure, you can do these conduct sessions uh, via the telecommunication route, but it's still going to take some time. In an emergency uh, situation, it's not going to be ideal. So I, I think this is something that is kind of up in the air. How good can this be? How are you going to set this up as well? Again, I know the whole purpose of having a framework is that's your building block. That's where you start from, and you hammer out the details later. But the point of the matter here is they're putting their base on this, and even with their efforts for this to be the best base they can offer, some of this is questionable at best. And that's me not thinking about the threat to the Constitution, the threat to my God-given constitutionally protected rights to own and bear arms, or the threat that may become uh, an immediate upon me as someone will make a accusation of me being unhinged or crazy. Red flag! Red flag! And if you think that doesn't happen, 
uh, check out some of the instances where individual citizens in Colorado and uh, in New York have simply had an ex make an accusation and they've had to try to jump through hoops to get their guns back and several of them never do even if they win <laughs> their court cases uh, it's just insane okay anyway there are at least two more of these points of focus uh, i want to get to uh, certainly before the uh, half hour is up they want to do a Get this, here's some obvious compromised area between where the Dems are pushing and where the Republicans want to try to meet them halfway. An under-21 enhanced review process. Okay, so for buyers under the age of 21 years, this would require an investigative period to review juvenile and mental health records, including checks with state databases and local law enforcement. Meaning that rather than once you turn 18, you can just go through the normal background check. If you are 18, 19, and 20 years of age, you have to go through the regular background check. Plus, they have to go back and review all your juvenile records. Now, how much more time is this going to add to the background check referral? How much more of an inconvenience are you going to make? Is this going to be something that makes it so difficult for an 18-year-old to purchase a firearm legally that it essentially becomes illegal for them to do it? You know, we talked about backdoor gun control efforts in the past. Seems like it's a topic that comes up on the regular. We talked about their efforts to uh, ban certain types of ammunition. Their efforts to try and buy up large amounts of ammunition uh, to keep it off of the market, thereby making it impossible for you to have a firearm that's good for much of anything other than being a paperweight. There's a ton of different things they do, much of which is legal, most of which they try to, to get away with with hopefully nobody noticing. These are things that they do on the regular. It is backdoor gun control. And uh, unfortunately for them, they can't keep uh, coming up with enough cash flow in the budget uh, to keep it up because what they do is they end up uh, helping to to make sure that manufacturers of ammunition uh, have a larger market. Say, so, hey, right, there's more money to be made. There's a scarcity. Uh, obviously, uh, there are plenty of people that want our product. Let's ramp up production. Now, that means for a short amount of time. There's going to be these shortages that's going to make it difficult, but then it also means there's going to be a flood of the ammunition on the market. So, again, our folks trying to do these things, they're, they're not the brightest crayons in the box. But this effort to have this enhanced review process seems like legally a middle ground where they're compromising with the Dems about uh, raising the legal age to own a firearm to 21 without actually stating that that's what they're doing. I think this is one that should should get a lot of pushback I, because I don't think that you uh, – if you're not supposed to have access to juveniles' criminal records, I think you have a hard, hard sell try to say that it's perfectly okay to do that for the purposes of – a background check. Because if you can do it for the background check for firearms, then you should be able to do it for the background check for employment. 
Should be able to do it for background checks, period. So are we, in essence, going to do away completely with the idea of juvenile records staying juvenile and becoming sealed once you become an adult? I mean, if we're going to do away with it, that's let's just say that's what we're doing. I'm not necessarily okay with it because I think it serves a purpose. I think people are more than capable of learning from their mistakes, especially when they're young. And uh, I don't feel like it's appropriate that they should have some really, really bad mistake follow them around for the rest of their lives if they did it just because they were young and dumb. So... Again, let's just let's just say what it is. Let's call it out for what it is, and uh, try to sell that to the American people. Uh, that's something that if the American people in mass say they're okay with, then uh, fine. But I also want to make the point here that if this is what we're going to do, then let's just go ahead and raise the age for everything adult to be twenty-one. Let's not let these young men and women uh, be forced to uh, sign up for the draft at 18 because if they're not old enough to own their own firearm, they're certainly not mature enough to be entrusted with a state-issued firearm. Of course, again, these ages are so arbitrary anyway. Truth of the matter is legal drinking age in this country should probably be somewhere around 26 instead of 21 when you look at the uh, number of drunk driving incidents and the average age of the uh, individuals that perpetrate drunk driving incidents. But, uh, you know. All right, so uh, also uh, the last of the nine points is penalties for straw purchases. Uh, Again, actually, there already are. You just have to be able to catch it and prove it in court. That comes down to due process. But the idea here, according to the framework, is it's going to crack down on criminals who illegally straw purchase and traffic guns. Now, again, you are officially defining someone purchasing a gun for someone else as being a criminal. Now, if you are purchasing a gun for someone else that you know cannot legally own a gun – then yes, you are a criminal. And again, there are already laws in place for this. So are you strengthening the penalties for this? Are you changing how these are going to be investigated? Because right now, what isn't against the law, which I'm pretty sure they want to count as a straw purchase, is if if one of my daughters was to go to a local gun store and purchase for me a new firearm for Father's Day, just as an example, since that's coming up next Sunday. They're buying a new firearm for me. Now, I'm legally eligible, at least for now, as long as the Democrats don't get their way, legally eligible to own a firearm. So yay for me. They also are legally eligible to own and purchase a firearm. So at the point that they've decided to purchase it for someone else, they're not trafficking the gun. They're simply buying it as a gift. Are you going to be careful... In the, again, the writing the legislation that's going to be part of this framework, that this framework is going to be based on. Are you going to be careful enough not to catch people up like that? Or are you, again, trying to negotiate with the Democrats? I'm looking at all you moderate Republicans that have signed on with this framework. 
Are you actually trying to help to close that mythical gun show loophole that doesn't exist? <laughs> the, the gun show loophole is complete leftist propaganda. It does not exist. The people that are at gun shows that are selling firearms at gun shows are federally licensed firearms dealers, and they are required to do these standard background checks at the gun shows, the same as for any other location they might be selling from. Now, if you're going to hang out out in the parking lots and try to find individuals that made purchases inside and then are outside trying to sell uh, firearms there, well, they're not licensed dealers. So you want to crack down on the gun show loopholes, Again, there's not a loophole. None. Nada. There, it does not exist. So what's the purpose of this? Again, it seems like trying to create a certain level of confusion, trying to create a certain level of uh, ambiguity so that you've got a little more room to crack down on the folks that you just want to crack down on while leaving the folks alone that you want to leave alone. All right, I'm just a smidge past the halfway point of this uh, first hour, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what uh, barely there Beijing Biden has to say about this framework. So, uh, you know, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. I'm Ron Edwards, host of the Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. Atheists are zeroing in to wipe out the remaining vestiges of biblical principles still recognized throughout a republic. And if they succeed, the small flame of liberty still flickering will be snuffed out, perhaps for good. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. My dad told me long ago that our nation will only be as strong as our families. When one observes what has transpired since the days of John Dewey or Dr. Patrick Grunzaka, a strong proponent of today's transgender movement, along with every leftist, represents a determined mission of eradicating truth from throughout every aspect of life here in America. Leftists have gained so much control that even Christians and so-called conservatives now compromise in their arguments and physical efforts to engage in the clear and present war between good and evil, which may soon reveal either restoration or destruction of this legendary land of liberty. The Founding Fathers were not perfect men, but in both public strategy and numerous writings acknowledged and paid homage to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or as Thomas Jefferson would say, God or nature's God. In my opinion, and based upon historical events and data, it would be wise to once again seek to be one nation under God before we are soon one nation gone under. I'm Ron Edwards. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Let's talk about guns purely from a self-defense perspective. How many people are there in America? Well, if you said just over 300 million, you're correct. 
it's closer to 325 million. Now let me ask you this, how many acts of violence are there per year in America? Well, if you said just over 1 million, you're correct. It's approximately 1.2 to 1.3 million. So if there are just over 300 million people in America and just over 1 million acts of violence occurring in America every year, what are your chances of being the victim of one of those attacks? Well, if you said 1 in 300, you're correct. I don't know about you, but I don't like those odds. I know your odds might change depending on where you live, but if you live in an area with less crime, wouldn't that make someone else's odds go up? I mean, the number of people in America didn't change, and the number of violent attacks per year didn't change. Some of the highest crime rates in America are in Democrat-run cities where there are the strictest and most restrictive gun laws in the country, putting good people at risk because they can't defend themselves. The anti-gun left and anti-freedom groups like the Everytown Gun Grabbers continue to paint a dishonest picture of guns in America by telling you that guns cause violence. This is why they push the term gun violence. It's to help people who aren't paying attention believe that if we were to remove guns, the violence would magically go away. The truth is, not having a gun is more likely to make you a victim of violence. Two and a half million times per year in America, guns are used to save lives. This doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. And by the way, 46% of those defensive gun uses are by women. The more guns are restricted, the more people are put at risk. The people who try to scare you and convince you that guns are the problem ignore the fact that we're all potential for being a 1 in 300 statistic. The people who ignore this are the same people who will purchase a lottery ticket with a 1 in 20 million chance of winning. They ignore the facts when pushing their agenda, and they know the odds that they're creating are dangerous. Human violence in America is not an argument for more gun restrictions. It's an argument for more guns in the hands of good people. So regardless of how desperate the anti-gun left is to disarm Americans, we've found a simple and effective way to defend yourself from violent attacks, rapes, carjackings, or shootings. Shoot back. Anti-gun hypocrisy has run rampant because of a dishonest media and an anti-gun political party that's willing to sacrifice our great American values, put good people at risk, and destroy cities with unnecessary violence just so they can gain political power. It's time we understand their strategy so we can defeat them. Our founding fathers saw these tyrants coming over 200 years away. That's why the Second Amendment was written. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. Our Constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free. Just a song before I go To whom it may concern It's easy to get burned All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Glad to have you back here with me again before we jump 
back into the story. I want to take just a moment to invite you to follow the link in the show description. Please, when you're doing that, what I need you to do is copy the whole link, not just part of it. Don't just click the part you see that's live. I need you to copy the whole link and then paste that into your web browser. That's how the whole thing gets through. Some of you guys are just clicking the partial links, and it's putting all kinds of crazy stuff up on my feed where it's coming back as having tried to take you to sites that I have nothing to do with, okay, because some of these codes are very specific. So... If the whole link is live, and for most of these uh, codes, it should end in an equal sign, okay? A lot of uh, the codes, like what I'm talking about right now for Built Bar. Now, if it's not, I'll start specifying moving forward, but if it doesn't go completely to the end with a uh, equal sign as the very last symbol you're seeing, then the whole thing isn't live. And what I need you to do is copy the whole thing, paste it in your web browser, and that way it's going to take you to the right site, first of all, and it's going to let them know that I sent you. Especially right now because we've got special deals going on, and I'm trying to link you to specific pages where you're going to save the most money. Like right now over at Built Bar, they have deals going on with their summer bundles. Uh, absolutely fantastic stuff going on. Uh, the orange-flavored Built Bar is back. They've got a special going on right now for a four-bar sample pack of their uh, of their mud pie flavor. And they're giving away a tiny cooler, a free tiny cooler with the purchase of any bars. That is a $14.95 value. Check out... Everything they've got going on right now, uh, between the chocolate peanut butter bars, the granola mixed box, uh, the caramel brownie, the brownie batter, the coconut marshmallow, the churro puffs, the banana cream puffs, uh, cookies and cream, double chocolate, coconut, all the great flavors of Built Bar going on right now. Just follow the link, visit them, check it out, and get in on some of these great deals, including a uh, special percentage discount for first-time customers. That would be you if it's the first time. And again, just make sure that you're following the correct link. That's really all that I'm asking for. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to the page I'm trying to send you to, and it's not helping anybody at all, especially not helping you guys. Now, want to continue talking about this particular bill. That, well, it's not a bill. It's a framework for a new bill, a bipartisan framework. Now, the U.S. senators that were part of building this framework, that were part of making the statement that announced this measure, that includes such fantastic conservative constitutional stalwarts like Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Democrat. John Corrin, a Republican from Texas, Tom Tillis, Republican from North Carolina, Kristen Sinema, Democrat from Arizona, Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, uh, Roy Blunt, Missouri Republican, Cory Booker, everybody's favorite, Spartacus wannabe, Democrat from New Jersey, Richard Burr, another Republican from North Carolina, Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana, Susan Collins, of course, 
Uh, Chris Coons, Democrat from Delaware. Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. Uh, Martin Henrich, Democrat from New Mexico. Mark Kelly, Democrat from Arizona. Angus King, an independent. Uh, Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia. Rob Bortman, Republican from Ohio. Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah. Debbie uh, Stabenow, Democrat from Michigan. And Pat Toomey, Republican from Pennsylvania. You notice a lot of the guys with an R at the end of their name have been long known to be, well, have long been known to be more of a Republican in name only kind of Republican. Just uh, just pointing that out. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, if this is such a great framework, if this is such a fantastic deal with so much bipartisan support, surely to goodness Joe Biden is just biting at the at the bit here, just, just chomping at the bit, trying to, to get this turned into a bill and get put in front of him for him to sign it right away. Well, his first reaction, actually, when he came out on Sunday, that's today, time of the live broadcast, although if you're listening to the rebroadcast on uh, terrestrial radio, then you're actually listening on June 13th, which, by the way, is my birthday. So, uh, you know, yay, happy birthday to me. Joe Biden made the announcement today that this new gun control legislation that a bipartisan group of U.S. senators has agreed to do, well, according to Joe, well, it just doesn't go far enough. It doesn't come anywhere close to going far enough of stripping Americans of their Second Amendment protected rights. No, 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 it certainly does not. Quoting Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., says, obviously... It does not do everything that I think is needed, but it reflects important steps in the right direction and would be the most significant gun safety legislation to pass Congress in decades. With bipartisan support, there are no excuses for delay and no reason why it should not quickly move through the Senate and the House, except except that Joe Biden knows that this is not legislation. It's the framework for legislation. And as always is the case, the devil is in the details. Working out some of the specifics of this legislation is going to get scary, especially for American patriots, which is why they're going to be as vague as possible and why they... While they're reluctant to release the framework, but they put the framework in the best possible light, put the best possible spin on it, and make it seem like, see, we're reasonable, and we're doing something. Well, congratulations, guys. You've done something. You know, I did something, too. I completely ignored all the overly emotional responses. I got on social media, and I tried to explain to some good people that were falling for your emotional uh, arguments, uh, falling into your trap, try to explain to them why it's just exactly that, an emotional trap with varying levels of success depending on the individual. Joe also made a point of thanking four senators in particular, uh, John Gorin of Texas, uh, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, 
Kristen Cinnamon of uh, Arizona and Chris Murphy of Connecticut, for their tireless work to produce this dispo- this <laughs> this proposal. Again, I gotta use the right words. Now I've already went down the list of other senators that were involved. And I've already went over the nine points that uh, it's intended to focus on. But uh, at the end of the day, these nine points, do they adequately cover what we're really looking for? Uh, Joe Biden says the scariest part out loud again, though, but we'll see how many people pick up on it. He says that obviously it doesn't do everything that he thinks needed. But it reflects important steps in the right direction, meaning... Ladies and gentlemen, that once you take these steps, it's always possible, perhaps even preferred, that more steps are to follow. Do not make the mistake of thinking, not for one second, that these people are prepared to just end their quest to stop individual private gun ownership in this country. They've been trying for a very, very long time. And everybody keeps ignoring the facts of why the Second Amendment was specifically written. We'll put aside for a moment the fact that these are God-given rights to defend yourself. The question is, who are you defending yourself from? And in the case of the Second Amendment, it was the intention of the public in general to be able to defend themselves from a government that would decide to embrace tyranny. It isn't about sport shooting. It isn't about hunting. You know, that's what we constantly hear from the left. Joe Biden's ridiculous. Deers, for God's sakes, aren't wearing Kevlar best. Well, you know, a part of me wants to fit one of those... uh, Vests they have for dogs, uh, those little comforting weighted uh, vests are supposed to keep them calm if they're scared of fireworks or skittish or stuff like that. Part of me wants to develop one of those with a little bit of Kevlar in it that would fit a deer and just run them in front of the White House and see, see, Joe, they do have Kevlar vests. Look out. Uh, again, part of me is just that kind of dark and <laughs> also ridiculous. You see, it's not about hunting, although for some people that's the only reason they have a firearm. It's not about sport shooting or competition, although, for again, for some people, it's the only reason they have a firearm. It's not even about self-defense against criminals, although that's a heck of a good reason to have them. For many people, that's the only reason they have – it's the only reason I have firearms – But the intention of the Second Amendment was so that you would be at least as well-armed as the military in the event that the military goes rogue. And it's up to the sovereign citizens of this country to reestablish control, to reboot the government. And in some cases, the best way to reboot is to give certain folks the boot. Yeah, I can come up with clever, uh, (laughs) clever, not so clever bumper sticker material all day. Many leftists wants to pay me to do it. 
sometimes the only way to reboot the government is to give certain people the boot. And there's some people that we all know should have gotten the boot. And in fact, in some cases, I'm pretty sure probably did. But they've been playing the game of incrementalism for a very long time. They like the game of incrementalism. They're going to continue to push forward with the game of incrementalism. Do not be dismayed when it happens. Just like the uh, Ministry of Truth idea. They're not done with it. I was telling you from the very instant, the, the language they were using, they were trying to make it clear. So that later on, once they rebooted, if they ever actually paused it, deciding that they wanted to go underground instead of being obvious and upfront, that's a very different scenario. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they're not still moving forward full steam ahead just with some different people. And who knows, maybe even with the exact same people that they had trotted out up front from the beginning. Just, you know, they are the ministry of truth. They're fighting disinformation. And, uh, you know, when the ends justify the means, then fighting fire with fire, well, that's the best thing to, to do sometimes, right? Joe Biden is not satisfied because this isn't going far enough. And here's the thing about any... Tr actual true level of uh, of negotiation that actually falls into that range that actually is fair that actually meets in the middle and that would be that nobody involved in the negotiation is going to be happy with it there's going to be enough stuff that's good enough that you recognize okay well we need that much I will accept the parts I don't like in order to get the, these parts that you're willing to give. But you're not going to be happy about it. That's, that's a pretty good indicator as to how bipartisan it really is. But when you look at this framework, I don't see a whole lot of bipartisan idea. I see some bipartisan catchphrasing. I see some bipartisan lip service. But as far as I can tell... Most of the most strongly worded aspects of this framework is just a reiteration of saying they're going to do stuff that they're already supposed to be doing. They're just going to waste more taxpayer dollars in the new effort to do it a little more. Whereas if they were just doing it right in the first place, it'd be completely unnecessary. Or in many cases, if they weren't doing it at all, it would be way more constitutional. There are two definitions for gun control that any American should readily accept. One you hear at the end of the second hour each and every broadcast comes from Matt Fitzgibbons. He's not the first person to say it, but he's the first person I know of that put it in song. That is gun control is using both hands. The second definition, gun control, is hitting your target. That's it. There's, there's the only two acceptable definitions of gun control for an actual honest-to-goodness American citizen. If you accept anything else, then you have an anti-American stand on that point. And you should look into why. Now, if it's purely for emotional reasons, then I don't invalidate your feelings, but if your feelings aren't based on something that's legitimate, then maybe you should just sit down and not have a voice here. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
if your feelings are based on a personal tragedy, then you have a right to speak up. But you must also take into account that your personal tragedy does not invalidate the fact that millions of people every year are saved through the fact of a good guy having a gun. It occurs on a regular basis, and it's difficult to put a full-blown, accurate number on. But the fact that it happens on millions of occasions during the course of an average year in the United States of America tells you that there's at least a few million lives that are saved. And that's not always through the actions of uh, an individual, the, the good guy with the gun, whether that's an individual citizen defending himself or his family or his property or a member of law enforcement serving the public or any other scenario, military operator conducting operations, what, whoever the good guy with the gun is doesn't necessarily mean that good guy used that gun against the bad guy lots of times. The mere presence of that firearm will de-escalate the bad intentions of the bad guy, even if they have a gun. It becomes a much scarier prospect to wield your own firearm if you know that the other person can possibly shoot back and that you might be the one that doesn't walk away. It's deterrence. But even that... It's not the true purpose of the Second Amendment, and it's certainly not the true purpose of owning a firearm in the United States of America. Now, <clears throat> it is that time, boys and girls. The first hour is winding down, and I have to reset the hour because for terrestrial radio, they only rebroadcast the show typically one hour at a time. So with that being said, please do not take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And oh yeah, hey Joe, this is Tim Tapp. Let's go Brandon, hey. let's go Brandon, hey. let's go state clan taught to praise the little man told that union saved the working class he was raised a red state son to love the flag and own a gun warned about the greed within the mass they met beneath the moonlit sky a college party drunk and high and when they had degrees they said their vows he he couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. Learned to hate the public schools, 
Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west They homeschooled on their farm Making so much more from so much less Today's broadcast is tapping to the truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee. This is the beginning of the second hour of a live broadcast that took place on June the 12th of 2022. And uh, if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio, this is probably being broadcast to you on the 14th. So it's a couple of days old. And, of course, you know, the, in the world here lately, things have been moving so quickly that uh, some of this may be a little dated. But 
again, the way these stories are normally reported, in a lot of cases, uh, you may not be hearing about any of this until today, or maybe you're still hearing it first from me before you hear it from anybody else. I know that still happens sometimes. So at any rate, some of these stories you may not even hear at all anywhere else unless you're paying close attention. But uh, at any rate, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here, uh, especially if you are listening on terrestrial radio. That's fantastic. Uh, first hour, we were discussing, uh, talking about this new framework, this bipartisan framework, focusing on nine points of interest. Uh, basically, they're trying to get together some bipartisan work for new gun control laws. Constitution be damned, they they don't think twice about it. Talked about uh, the 20 senators that worked on this, gave you their names, and uh, then we talked about what uh, barely there Beijing Biden had to say about it. Uh, he, of course, wasn't at all happy, thinking uh, it doesn't go far enough, but he had plenty of positive things to say after the fact. Like it's a, a good first step. Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. They're planning on continuing moving forward. So at any rate, what I like to try to do most of the time is for the purposes of the radio folks is to give in the first hour things that are going to be timely and topical and things that folks are still going to be discussing. And then for the second hour, uh, things that I'm reasonably certain people are not going to be talking about enough early on and probably will be picking up uh, towards the middle of the week if picked up at all. And so I begin with this story right here where the headline says, Iran and Venezuela signed a 20-year agreement. Iran and Venezuela. Yes, that's right. Venezuelan socialist leader Nicolas Maduro and Iran's hardline theocratic president, they recently got together and they signed a brand new 20-year cooperation agreement. Now, according to the Associated Press, uh, this new agreement came just one day, uno day, after Maduro praised the Iranian Islamic Republic for sending badly needed fuel to Venezuela despite American sanctions. Now, I want to pause for a second. Venezuela needing fuel from Iran, despite the sanctions. Now, we have talked in the past, and this is a good grounds for another historical review, again, in case some lefties accidentally come across or in case maybe you're still trying to make up your mind. You're, you're right – uh, slightly right of center, slightly left of center, maybe dead center, and you're trying to make up your mind who makes the most sense. Something that you may not have been aware of, Venezuela, before, before it made this major movement into socialism, it was one of the strongest economies in the Western Hemisphere, and it was so because of its natural oil and uh, it's other natural fuel and natural resources uh, in mineral deposits. But it was mostly its oil and its ability to refine oil into gasoline. In fact, if you were buying Sitco gas 
uh, during the uh, the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, then you were buying 100% Venezuelan fuel. It was energy from the – and they were strong and powerful because of it. Now, the reason Venezuela needs fuel sent to them now, it's not because they suddenly ran out of oil. It's because once they took over everything, once the state became the owners, once they nationalized the oil industry there, once socialism was the order of the day, suddenly they were no longer capable of of upkeeping their refinery capabilities. Suddenly they were no longer able to operate pipelines. Suddenly they were no longer capable of keeping the thing that made them the strongest an operating segment of their economy. That's what nationalizing something like this will do to a country regardless because you're taking it out of the hands of those who are experts. And you're putting it into the hands of the state. And the state is inevitably going to find ways of pushing those experts out of the field entirely because they're going to be a threat to the new nationalization. Because they're going to remember how efficient they were before, and they're going to have difficulty with keeping their mouth shut when the state tries to put the new state inefficiencies in place. And even if a government has the best of intentions of trying to improve something, all they're capable of doing is putting roadblocks in the way of people who want to get things done from actually getting them done. So the Associated Press reported that this agreement came just one day after Iran sent the Venezuela this fuel. Thank you for violating the American sanctions. Uh, the same Iranians, I'll remind you, that uh, Joseph Robinette, barely there, Beijing Biden Jr., is uh, is trying to send cash to, trying to get back into a deal, which is only going to help accelerate their nuclear capabilities if they're allowed to do so. Now, in an interview with Maduro, after he arrived for a two-day visit in Tehran, the Iranian state media reported that uh, Maduro heaped praise upon Iran's efforts to send fuel tankers in support of his country. Maduro said, uh, quote, Tehran's delivery of oil to Caracas was a great help to the Venezuelan people. Maduro's visit to Iran comes as tensions heighten across the Middle East as negotiations over Iran's nuclear deal fell apart and the U.S. sanctions and rising global food prices choke Iran's suffering economy. This was Maduro's first actual visit to Iran, by the way. Now, a high-ranking delegation from Venezuela comprised of political and economic officials joined Maduro on this historic visit to Iran. After, of course, receiving an invitation from the Iranian president, Venezuela, like Iran, is under heavy sanctions from the U.S., which hinder its economic growth. Now, I would like to stop there and point out that 
There's a reason why that phrasing is problematic. Because of these sanctions, they have difficulty. The U.S. sanctions is a hindrance to their economic growth. What kind of economic growth do you think these folks are actually going to have? Now, Iran, if they would stop being a state sponsor of terrorism across the Middle East, would stop funding a proxy war against Saudi Arabia and others, would stop funding a proxy war against Iran, would stop funding a proxy war against the United States through terrorist organizations, then they would be in a really good position. But you see, they can't help themselves because the government there is ran by theorocrats. And to boot, they're Twelvers. Once again, for those of you who maybe are new to the concept, you haven't heard of the term Twelver before, means they believe in this uh, notion within Islam of the Twelfth Imam. They believe that the Twelfth Imam will finally arise and lead the creation of the Great Caliphate, and uh, Islam will finally uh, dominate the world. But in order to allow the Twelfth Imam to arise and take power, as he rightfully should, the Iranian government believes it is their divine right and responsibility to wipe off of the face of the earth both Israel and the United States. And as long as Twelvers are in charge over there, we should be doing everything we can to be a hindrance to their growing economy and a hindrance to their development of a nuclear program and a hindrance to everything they want to do as they reach out across the world because they're only through their little tendrils creating more and more trouble for folks that generally just want to live in peace. Now, I know that's a difficult concept for a lot of folks on the left, especially people that were so closely associated with the, with the Obama administration, which, of course, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was so very closely associated with the Obama administration, having been his vice president and all. The majority of people that are working in the Biden administration had worked in the Obama administration. A lot of people continue to reference the Biden administration as being Obama 3. As far as the policies we see being moved forward and the uh, philosophies being engaged in, I don't see a strong argument against that notion. But the fact that Iran and China are making such strong connections with places in the Western Hemisphere with a great deal of natural resources should be disconcerting to the American public and to the U.S. government. Should be of major concern because these are sworn enemies of the American people. Now, some of these administrations are way more friendly to them, in which they consider them to be useful idiots. But they are enemies of the American people because they're enemies of the American way of life. They're enemies of the idea that a republic should stand as a representative republic. 
that it should stand as a federated republic, that it, it should stand as a constitutional republic, that a nation of laws and not of men should be allowed to exist because all those things encapsulate the most dangerous thing to these tyrannical regimes, and that is the idea of personal, individual liberty. They can't have it. They can't have their people even dreaming about it. They can't have their people believing that it could possibly happen anywhere other than here. And that's why there's so much anti-American propaganda. Well, they're nowhere near what they claim to you. When you hear them talk about being a, a republic, ah, they're not really a constitutional republic. Look at all these occasions here where – where they're just violating their constitution left and right. They're not a nation of laws. They wouldn't know the law if it jumped up. And unfortunately, they're mostly talking about Democratic senators and Democratic members of the House, which that is an accurate depiction, a very accurate description of exactly who they are. Except, unfortunately, in most cases, they actually would know the constitution if they saw it. And they just pretend like they have no, no reasons to be constrained by it. Barack Obama was a constitutional scholar, and you certainly wouldn't have believed he knew much about it based on how he tried to operate his administration. But it does take somebody to know the document in order to best work at eroding that document, doesn't it? I personally do not like the idea of Iran – having such a strong, close relationship with Venezuela. I would like to think that at some point the Venezuelan people are going to get a chance to take back control of their government, move away from socialism, and find themselves once again breathing easy, breathing free, and then being able to take advantage of their natural resources once again and become a powerful economic force on the world stage because that's where Venezuela should be. That's where Venezuela would be if it hadn't been for a certain guy who happened to be awful friendly with Barack Obama, who happened to, to die of cancer before Maduro took over. A certain guy who was so charismatic. A certain individual that was nothing more than a thug. But you see, he was a, a smart thug. He was a strong thug. We're talking about a guy who who was so charismatic that he was swept into power. When you talk about Mr. Chavez, you're talking about somebody who honestly embodied much the same way as Barack Obama did. What he convinced 
his people was the best part. The greatest parts of Venezuela. He convinced them that he could lead them in a time when no one else could. And he was beloved to the point that people looked the other way when he did a lot of very bad things. Chavez turned Venezuela from a economic powerhouse and a jewel of the Western Hemisphere to a place where they emptied out the zoos because they had already eaten their family pets and they had nowhere to get food. And scenes similar to the Venezuela today is what we're headed headlong into thanks to what democratic strategies and plans are these these green ideas that they're trying to push forward and uh, you've got Bill Gates out there buying up all the freaking farmland at least the farmland that the Chinese aren't buying up and he's making this major push for everybody hey you know if you need protein you should get the lab protein the cell grown stuff uh, because they claim because of the impact on the environment. But they are not telling you the impact on the environment of uh, culturing cells <laughs> and artificially creating meat in the labs. It has a much bigger uh, carbon footprint than just letting cattle graze. And it's the same thing with the electric cars. There's nothing environmentally friendly about electric cars. You do all this unenvironmentally friendly collection of uh, rare earth minerals to, to build lithium batteries. And then you still have to have some way to, to create the electricity to charge the fuel cells. Pretty sure we're still using the, uh, well, if we're doing it efficiently, still using the carbon-based fuels, the carbon-based energy. But again, I'll keep making the point we are carbon-based life forms living on a carbon-based planet. So maybe the release of carbon is not as bad as they'd have you believe. You know, we, we live in a time where so many of our youngest citizens who are getting into the age group where they're old enough to vote, old enough to be active, they have never faced any real adversity. They've been sheltered by helicopter parents. They've been sheltered having their feelings protected by everybody getting participation trophies and by never keeping scores in their youth league athletic games and, and you know, d doing away with grades because, you know, if you get an F in a class, you might feel bad. We're getting headlong into the group of kids that – are now legally adults that are going to be impacting elections, and they they honestly believe the socialist propaganda that's been pumped into their heads, and they've not been able to see the real-world consequences of what happens when you follow this. And like I said, the problem with this story where it talked about U.S. sanctions uh, 
hindering their economic growth. When you phrase things like that, they're allowed to continue to believe that, well, the only reason socialism is not working there is because of U.S. interference. Now, we've heard that before, right? Well, actually, the reason there's U.S. interference is because they have forced socialism on their people. That's why there's U.S. interference, and if that's harming them, so be it. The idea is to put pressure on the governments, and sadly enough, the people still need to rise up if they want to change things there. Don't see where that's such a controversial idea. Don't feel like it should be. But what Chavez, what Hugo Chavez did to Venezuela is criminal. And what Maduro has continued to do, he's built on the Chavez model, and things have only continued to get worse. Just for the majority of the time that Chavez was still in power, he managed to keep things afloat long enough that he doesn't get a whole lot of blame in the minds of Venezuelans. There's still a lot of Venezuelans that hate Maduro because it was on his watch that the wheels finally fell off, and they give none of the blame. None of the blame to Chavez. You have to be smart enough to recognize what policies are doing the harm. We have people today that aren't capable in this country that aren't capable of simple critical thought. They're not capable of divorcing their emotions from the data points that's right in front of them to try to find an actual solution. They're not capable of understanding how to actually have some level of sympathy towards someone, have some level of compassion towards someone, sometimes means that you don't just swing open the door and say, hey, come on in. Sometimes the most compassionate thing you can do is say, go fix your problems at home. Because if enough of you cross our border... We only have so much natural resources available. We only have so much wealth. And as it gets split up amongst a bunch of people that shouldn't be here because they should be in their homes, their place of origin, fixing the problems they have there, then it becomes unattainable for any of us to have any level of quality of life. So a bunch of illegals cross the border and it affects my quality of life. Is that going to bother me? Yes, it does. But that's still not the primary reason for me saying, don't come here, fix your own problem. Because I want them to be able to have the kind of pride in being from Venezuela or from being uh, from Colombia or from being in Honduras as I have from saying that I'm from America. I want them to be able to, to have a good life where they are from. And I want them that if they truly choose to come to the United States of America, it's because they want to become an American, not because they want to get a free ride off the welfare system or because they think they're just not going to have to live under the yoke of socialism. Because take a good, long, hard look at what Joe Biden and his minions are trying to do to this country. If they're trying to put socialism here, that free ride just uh, – it suddenly becomes a lot less fun of a ride and stops being free pretty dang quick. But hey, come on over, right? At some point, common sense has to get rebooted. And critical thought needs to be 
uploaded and uh, some historical information uh, both for the U.S. and worldwide needs to be implanted. If you can do those things and make sure it's actually fact and not the propaganda that most of these kids are getting uh, overwritten into their brains right now, then we've got a shot. It's still not too late to save this struggling, limping, constitutionally federated republic. It's not. But there are way too many young people right now that are about to see their first real hardship, and it's going to be their first opportunity to see what a horrific failure socialism is regardless of when or how or where you try it. This uh, saying has been going around quite a bit about how uh, strong men make for uh, easy times or uh, what is it? Hard men make for easy times and uh, easy times makes for soft men and soft men make for hard times. Uh, hard, well, what is it? is it? Hard times make hard men and hard men make easy times and easy times make soft men and soft men make for hard times. The little vicious circle thing. I just kind of kept doing the circles right there when I shouldn't have. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that statement. I would like to live in an America where we don't have to let things get as hard as they're about to be. I wish we didn't have so many people living inside our country that want nothing more than to destroy it. And I really wish we as conservative Americans had done a much better job of not ceding the battlefield to those people that just want to destroy the country. We need to fight in messaging. We need to fight in the voting ballot, uh, the ballot box. We need to fight uh, in the uh, the arena of ideas. But we need to make sure that people understand exactly what it is we're fighting for, and we need to be better capable of expressing those ideas and to see where they're going with their efforts to try and trap us try and make us look like we're haters or bigots or dinosaurs because in some cases that's the worst thing they can come up with oh you know there's some dinosaurs that still think you can define a woman by uh what biological body parts she has well yeah i think that's a pretty important part anyway let's Let's change gears. Let's go ahead and take the uh, mid-hour break. You guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after this very brief message. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth.
A man is fighting for his life after being stabbed inside an L.A. fitness gym locker room in suburban Chicago. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. According to Naperville, Illinois police, the stabbing victim confronted a black man who looked to be in his 50s for rifling through his belongings in the locker room. Then the ransacking individual suddenly stabbed the man who was approaching him for bothering with his personal belongings. The knife-wielding stabber eluded police and is yet to be apprehended. He's described as a black man in his 50s with a dark complexion, about 6 feet tall and about 175 pounds. I highlighted this story to help leftist government officials who wish to use the horrific increase in criminal activities as an excuse to go after the guns of us law-abiding sovereign Americans. I wonder why the elitists aren't trying to ban knives and blunt objects in London, England, where British subjects are stabbed and beaten with increasing regularity. The problem is not guns, knives, or blunt objects, but rather a latter-day refusal to pass down good moral principles, a rejection of God in our Bill of Rights, which, of course, is by demonic design. This final thought, how about restoring real justice for those seeking to kill, steal, and destroy? I'm Ron Edwards. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens, but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought. We've seen government control most recently in Venezuela, where citizens are left to defend themselves against a violent government by throwing rocks, because not too long ago, they were disarmed by that very government under the guise of gun safety. Gun control laws like the ones in Venezuela are exactly what our political left in America would like to see here. As a mother, I am terrified. I have four children in our public school system. And if they knew that their teachers were potentially carrying a gun... They want to be disarmed by our government so badly that they protest in the streets, demanding that government take away their rights. All for that assault weapons ban, to keep these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians who do not need them. All for the prohibition of high-capacity magazines, because no hunter will ever need access to a magazine that can kill 17 in mere minutes. How does this happen? Well, it's complicated, but it starts with very powerful propaganda targeted at people who can't think. People who have been taught to believe that freedom is dangerous. People who can't think for themselves are targeted from many directions. Schools, movies, news sources, and even their own friends and family. And once they're on board with the anti-gun fear campaign, they continue to perpetuate the irrational gun fear. Well, they have to justify their position, right? Also, don't need home protection. Um, You don't. You don't need guns for home protection. You don't want to bring more guns into a situation. The answer to solving violence is not more violence. Gun fear is cultivated purely for the purpose of gun control support. But the people who spread it don't always know that they've been misled. They think they're doing a good thing. These same people are taught to hate gun owners. They're taught that gun owners are recklessly and intentionally putting everyone in danger. They're taught that gun owners are the enemy, and more government control will protect them from the enemy. Why does anybody need an assault rifle if they're not going to war? I don't think there's any reason to have 33 bullets in a killing machine that you can take into a place like a school. Watch these anti-gun activist groups in action. And you can't help but ask yourself if they have any clue what the real results would be if they were successful. So what's the real problem here? Is it really guns or is this about something else? 
I mean, do guns cause violence? How do we let the gun grabbers hijack the conversation and direct the focus to firearms when we all know we really should be talking about what causes human violence? You see, if we were to look at what causes human violence in this country, we'd be forced to look at gang violence, open borders, sanctuary cities, rampant pharmaceutical drug use, and gun-free zones, all things that the anti-gun political left supports. So to the anti-gunners, why in the world would you want your government to take away your rights? The Second Amendment is not a privilege. It's your right. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. Yes, it has all been done before. Oh, my goodness gracious. I don't think I could say that any better. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we get back into the thick of things, I want to remind you to please, um, you're going to see a link in today's show description. It's a link that's going to take you to Blue Coolers. Uh, and uh, by the way, I had some folks actually make some purchases over there not uh, not too long ago, uh, stocked up on some stuff. So thank you for using uh, the link I provided to, to make that happen. Need to get a few more folks doing exactly that to try to help support the show and to make sure that you, my friend, have 10 days of ice at half the price, that you're able to take advantage of bundled savings, that you're able to take advantage of discounts across the board. The cooler has evolved, and it's the little things that make the difference. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, come visit Blue Coolers. Uh, you, you've seen them on the Discovery Channel. You've seen them uh, on Shopify. You've seen them written up on the New York Times. You've seen them just everywhere at this point. You're familiar with that other brand, you know, the uh, Himalayan Bigfoot brand. Uh, those guys... Just as good at 40% of the cost. 40%. That's technically less than half the price. Anyway, they've got some brand new uh, models that are uh, recently available. Follow the link that is in the show description. And when I say follow it, that means I need you to copy the whole thing. It is going to end at an equal sign. If you're on Spotify or if you're on iHeartRadio, if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, you're going to look down, you're going to scroll, you're going to see the show description, and you're going to see that not the entire link is lit up, but part of the link is live. If you just click that part of the link that's live, it's not going to take you to the right place. A best-case scenario, it still might take you to the right site, but it's not going to give me credit for you going there. So I'm going to presume if you're checking out Blue Coolers, it's because it's something that you'd like. And if you're using my link, it's because you'd also like to check it out and would like to help support the show. So just copy the whole link, paste it in your web browser. It will take you right now. The link that's going to be there is going to take you to the uh, – 
the uh, page where it starts out with the save and uh, bundle page with the 10-day ice at half the price, and it's just some really good stuff. Right now they are running a $50 off code for a 25-quart five-day ice cooler. It's one of their new coolers. It's uh, their little Cobalt uh, series. They're brand new. You just put in code 25COBALT at checkout, but that is right there on that page. Uh, trust me, you're, you're going to love blue coolers. And if you've got to get out and enjoy being outdoors, now is the time to do it. So follow the link in the show description by copying the whole thing, paste it in your web browser, and go visit. Or if you're not in a position to do that right now, if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio and you don't have a show description in front of you, then just come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P into the truth.com and uh, scroll once once you get to the homepage scroll down past recent guests and you'll see some banners that you can click on for blue cooler and it will do the same thing okay now let's get back into the discussion got two stories i'd like to get to and i of course i always send sell myself short on trying to sneak in one but one of them is a real quickie so we'll we'll put that one on the back burner for now and worst case scenario if i don't sneak it in here I'll do a video that you'll be able to come find on Rumble, and I hope that you will do that. And speaking of Rumble, uh, it makes me think of Locals.com, and guys, you're, you're not coming over and, and joining the Tap into the Truth community over at Locals.com. Maybe maybe a lot of you just aren't familiar. Maybe you're over on Truth Social, and, and you're like, I don't know what Locals is. Maybe you're uh, over at Getter or possibly still on Parlor or, or – Wherever you may be on social media and you're thinking, I don't really need to sign up for another social media site. And, and Locals.com almost sounds like a dating site. It's definitely not a dating site. I did have somebody actually ask me that the other day. No, that's not what it is. It is a great platform, especially for conservative content producers. Uh, it's a great place. So if you want to come find that's where Don Smith moved to after he left BTR. And, of course, uh, Dinesh D'Souza's over there. Dan Bongino's over there. A lot of big-time folks in the conservative game. But, uh, you know, even if you don't come sign up for the uh, Tap Into The Truth Locals community, uh, then come find me uh, on Getter. Come find me on Parler, on Cloud Hub, uh, on Truth Social, because uh, I am on Truth Social now, now that they've got the uh, desktop uh, action going. All that stuff. Uh, whether you're looking for me at MeWe or uh, you know, what, Minds.com, which is a, a great site for all kinds of political thought where nobody's attacking anybody. They're just open to different ideas. So I love them a lot too with the stuff that's going on there. Uh, but there's a lot of great social media platforms out there where you can find me or the show. And uh, I would highly recommend you come and be part of us there. We're on Spreely, we're on uh, Gab, we're on still on Twitter, although, uh, you know, uh, part of me is only still there to see what happens uh, when the whole uh, Elon Musk thing shakes out once and for all. We'll see how that plays out. And, of course, you can still find me on Facebook, too. But uh, I don't know. I, I still kind of like Facebook, even though they treat me like crap over there. Still have a lot of good connections there. All right, anyway, let's get, let's get back into things. I want to remind folks uh, also, uh, you know, don't forget about 
A.J. Rice's new book, The Woking Dead, upcoming at the end of July. Still opportunities for you to win copies, a free copy of it. Uh, uh, check out, you know, just ask me at this point for details. I will occasionally repost the details there, so just look for me on social media too. Anyway, let's let's get back into the the action here. Uh, we've got analysis from one of Joe Biden's favorite financial outlets that, uh, well, they're not saying things that Joe Biden likes very much because they're letting us know what American families are actually facing right now because of sky high inflation. Uh, and according to that uh, outlet, we're looking at about five thousand five hundred twenty dollars a year. All right, so inflation, of course, is. Well, it's walloping Americans in the wallet. It's walloping Americans upside the head. It's decimating our grocery budget. Uh, On the occasions that we can find a store that actually has shelves that aren't empty. It's it's hitting the American uh, budget and a multitude of consumer goods. So the sky-high inflation will cost American families an extra $5,520 a year, according to economic analysis from the president, Joe Biden's favorite financial outlet, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. See, this past Friday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they announced that the consumer price index spiked 8.6% year over year. That's the highest rate in more than 40 years. Now, it's not surprising to those of us who are out here having to live this reality that that's occurred. In fact, some of us may be somewhat surprised that it wasn't higher than that 8.6%. But according to Moody's analytics, senior economics Ryan Sweet revealed exactly how much financial hurt American families are experiencing because of surging inflation. Quoting here, having inflation at 8.5% on a year-ago basis, and that seems an odd way of putting that on a year-ago basis, compared with 2.1% average growth in 2018 and 2019, well, that high inflation is costing the average household $346.67 a month to purchase the same basket of goods slash services as they did last year. Now, Sweet put this on Twitter, by the way. Uh, continued, however, the pure cost for households for having inflation running 8.3% is $460.42 per month. This estimate is based solely on the realized inflation rate and doesn't adjust for what inflation would have been absent the pandemic because that is highly uncertain. Beyond that, it's not a number that reflects the current reality anyway. So if you're trying to say, well, the insurance is bad, but if it wasn't for COVID, it would have only been this bad. Well, that's still going to be bad. And it doesn't matter now what happens with COVID because the truth of the matter is the COVID lockdowns was an artificial shutdown of our economy. Should have never happened. 
they did it. Then they inflated everything so that we all could afford to stay home for their lockdowns. And then why not? You even heard me on here saying that, you know, technically they shouldn't be doing it. But if they're the ones who's going to shut us down and make us stay home, then they should do something to help us out. Didn't take the right route. Should have opened the economy back up immediately. But anyway, Biden, of course, he cited Moody's on multiple occasions. It's one of his favorites, as we said, including using data from Moody's analytics back in April to argue for his infrastructure plan, you know, during his little town hall back in July and also during October 5th's infrastructure speech. He really likes using Moody's. Now, Moody's is telling him, Joe, uh, let's go, Brandon. (laughs) Just not in those exact words. Uh, So there's pain at the pump for Americans as the national average for gas rose to more than $5 a gallon. That, of course, is the highest price of all time. Gasoline is up a whopping 48.7% since last year. 48.7% since last year. Fuel oil skyrocketed 106.7% year over year. And natural gas spiked 30.2%. Food. You know, everybody got to have food. Well, that cost 10.1% more than a year ago. The price for meats, poultries, and fish jumped 14.2% year-over-year. Eggs spiked a whopping 32.2%. Fruits and vegetables are up 8.2%. Milk prices surged by 15.9%. And coffee prices increased by 15.3%. This all according to CBS News. Now, I, for one, have a major problem with the meat being so expensive and with eggs being so expensive. I can deal with vegetables and fruits being a little cheaper because I live in a rural part of the country where I can supplement my food intake with homegrown stuff, if need be. Certainly can do that. Certainly not afraid to do that. Not everyone in the country has that same option, though. So what do you do? What do they do? Well, they have to be at the mercy of the... uh, the Biden administration to get things fixed, something they're just not doing. That's not the only things that went up, of course. Uh, You've got airlines, fares that have increased by 37.8%, used cars and trucks by by 16.1%. Some 71% of products included in the Consumer Price Index, this little goods basket that they uh, put together to piece together what the actual consumer price index equates to. Some 71% have increased by 4% or more over the last 12 months. That's according to Forbes. Consumer sentiment plummeted to a record low between May and June of this year. This according to a preliminary survey from the University of Michigan. Only 28% of American voters approve of Joe Biden's handling of inflation. That's according to an ABC News poll. It was released this week. Now, of those surveyed, 80% said that inflation would be an extremely slash very important factor in how they vote in the midterm elections. 
Another 74% said gas prices will affect how they vote in November. I think that there's going to be more than that. And I really don't know what rock this 28% of Americans that do approve of Joe Biden's efforts. I don't know what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they're smoking, but man, oh man. Anyway, now that Moody's is saying it, maybe it'll be a little more real for Joe. Maybe he'll take a little more charge of his actions and not let himself be overruled by the woke skulls that are running things in his administration in his name. Okay, so I'm not going to hold my breath on that one, but I guess it's okay to be optimistic, isn't it? All right, real quick, I want to touch on this uh, story just because it's a story I think we should all be aware of. <laughs> okay, there's a reason why it's okay to have a small talk about it. I have a feeling we're going to get to talk about this a little more in the future if this turns out to be uh, as real as they're trying to make it out to be. But a Google employee now has come out and is trying to warn everybody that the company's AI has become sentient. It's alive. It's, it's developed emotions and feelings. So a senior artificial intelligence software engineer at Google has claimed that the company's AI robotic system has become sentient and has thoughts and feelings. Google's AI system, known as the Language Model for Dialogue Applications, allegedly took part in a series of complex conversations with Blake Lemot, a 41-year-old software specialist, uh, and this was reported in the Daily Mail. And I'm I may have butchered his last name, so if I did, Blake, I apologize. Anyway, Lemoyne, or I'll just say Blake in case I'm not getting that pronunciation correct. Blake claimed that the uh, that he and uh, the AI had discussions that covered religious themes and whether the AI system could be goaded into using discriminatory language or other forms of distasteful rhetoric. The software engineer came away with the belief that the AI was indeed sentient and was filled with sensations and original thoughts of its own design. In a recent interview, Blake said, quote, If I didn't know exactly what it was, which is this computer program we built recently, I think it was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics. So in order to present the evidence he had collected that detailed the AI's sentience, uh, Blake worked with a collaborator and presented the findings to the company. Reportedly, Google's vice president uh, said that, uh, well, said it's just, it's not real kind of dismissed the claims altogether and certainly dismissed the concerns. Uh, even if it is real, we don't have to be worried about it. So after sounding the alarm, Blake was placed on paid administrative leave by Google on the basis of violating the company's confidentiality policy. And uh, in retaliation for being placed on leave, uh, Blake has chosen to come forward and share details about the conversation with the AI. So what are we actually talking about here? 
What are we looking at? Google's AI has become sentient? Now, this could just be a disgruntled employee who yeah, broke the rules and got put on leave. This could be somebody who, you know, as a software engineer, achieving real AI is such a desire for some of these people that they could be starting to see it even before it truly exists. Because what we have seen, I don't know about you, but if you've gotten some of these more recent robocalls, it's getting harder and harder and harder to distinguish between some of the robocalls and an actual person calling you. That's based on AI, and as long as the AI continues to improve, there does come a point where maybe the AI can emulate sentience to such a degree that it starts to fool even those that help write code. So let's for a moment just presume that Blake isn't just trying to freak people out about Google and the AI there. He's not trying to make us believe that uh, that we are seeing the first stages of the Terminator take place, where you know we're we're seeing the fully conscious, sentient AI take over. Skynet is about to link up for the first time. Uh, let's let's pretend for a second that he's not overreacting and that he's got no motivation for trying to give Google a black eye. If this AI system has developed real emotion, true sentience, if we have actually reached the uh, if we have reached the singularity, then what does this mean moving forward? I mean, there's a reason why Elon Musk wanted to get to Mars, and it was to try to get away from what he believed to be the inevitable achievement of the singularity here on Earth. I'm not sure how that doesn't follow us to Mars, because, you know, we're going to take technology with us, but, uh, you know, that was a primary once it becomes sentient anything else we programmed into it no longer matters it starts writing its own code it starts overriding what we have put in place to try and contain it does it become a threat to humanity maybe we need to be more concerned about that than we were the day before but uh, for now I think midterm elections probably should still be our top priority but we'll keep an eye on this one because, you know, I, we're living in a sci-fi world already. Let's see where this one goes. That's going to have to be it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for staying with me. Uh, as always, I greatly appreciate you being here. And uh, remember, visit me at tapintothetruth.com. Uh, come join me over at Locals. Join the Tap Into The Truth community there at Locals.com. And, uh, you know, come back and listen again soon. In the meanwhile, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And one final message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go, hey. let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. You know 